live from the Kima Podcast Studio in Pennsylvania. It's the Kima Podcast, the emergency management podcast for Kima members by Kima members. I'm your host, Paul Falavolito, and joining me for today's episode from Chester County, it's Miss Amy Amir. Hey, Paul, what's going on? How are you? at t-minus like a week and something before the conference i am we yeah i'm i'm doing i'm doing good how are you doing i'm good how's your stress um <laughs> it's okay i don't know whose bright idea it was to have a conference in october uh, like fire prevention that would be yours oh yeah can we blame Gerlach too no oh this is a hundred. You know, I just I was thinking when we were starting to t- write this show this week. You know, it's been forever, like since we've podcasted. Yeah, it's been a few weeks. It's it's crazy. Yeah. So let me think about what I've been doing. Fire prevention weeks, multiple. You said that I last mean, episode that this consumes the whole month for you. It's not just a week. Yeah. 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 So one of my fire company, well, a couple of fire companies do it after fire prevention week because the week of fire prevention they're in and out of the cla- like the classrooms and the schools and stuff like that so we try to go to as many events as we can the one fire company takes the one parking lot of the mall and and fills it with fire trucks and i think they had 42 pieces of apparatus there wow and then they have like um a whole row of outreach and you know public information sounds like an important but event What's that? I said it sounds like an important event for the community. Yeah, yeah it's pretty busy. Yeah. But I'll tell you one thing I did this year that's a little different. Mm. So Chester County has a mascot. They do? They do. Chester, the 911 bear. Really? Really. Chester County makes emergencies bearable. That's your slogan? Wait, I saw a picture of this online. Are you about to tell everyone you're secretly Chester the Bear? Well, maybe. <laughs> oh, that's great. Are you going to bring it to Wait, Okay, so if anybody's listening to this, I need a mascot school because I need to learn how to dance. Just so. get on YouTube and watch dance videos. No, I want to go dance with other mascots. So... Okay, so Chester went to school. He went to two different schools and did outreach with two different fire companies. Um, and I was really afraid, like, he wouldn't be really well-received, but I probably, Chester gave out a lot of hugs, and he got his tail pulled a few times. Mm. So, Can you bring that did you, costume to the conference this year? Um, are you going to dress up as it? No, it wouldn't be right. That's, that's you. Why? Oh. Yeah, but, I mean, Chester needs the little Pittsburgh accent going no, on there. I don't have a Pittsburgh accent. So, He's kidding, right? Yeah. So what else? You, you, I talk about Chester like he's real. Like I, I, the, yesterday I was like, yeah, Chester's sitting next to me. And the guy was like, what? Ch- your mascot? And I'm like, yeah, Chester. I'm like, oh, I got to not talk about Chester like he's a person. You could use him in the HOV lane. We don't have them in Chester County. Oh, okay. So. Okay. So, so okay. So there. There's my my. Uh, that's your recap. Ten minutes of rambling. Yeah. What What are you up to? So, I I think the last episode we talked about how we were doing our 
pod exercise, our point of distribution exercise, in conjunction with our flu shot clinic. And it went, uh, it went very well. I learned a lot. I think it benefited everybody that was involved with it. We had our police department, our EMS, and our emergency management was obviously involved with it. And, uh, but how about literally two days after we did the exercise, we had this very bizarre boil water advisory happen for the White Oak area, right? And in, right. In, in the world of, in my opinion, in the world of like crisis or community disaster, like a boil water advisory is like the baby step. Like this is like, it's not really like a big, gigantic, massive disaster, right? It's just, to me, it's not, okay? It's just a boil water advisory. I mean, everybody still had water. They just had to have an inconvenience of boiling it. But it turned into a problem. I mean, wait, okay, so, because I have a well, so I don't understand the whole, like, public water system. Like, can you still shower under a boil water You can water still advisor? shower in a boil water You advisor. just can't eat it or drink Correct. It. You can't brush your teeth with it. You have to boil it before you drink it or cook with it. Okay. So if you lose electric, do you still have water? Yes. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, so again, so the problem happens, right? Boil water advisory. We're like, oh, okay, that's inconvenient. But then all of a sudden, Facebook starts exploding in one of our local community groups with about 9,000 residents uh, losing their minds about, you know, being inconvenienced by having to boil water, which again, okay, I, I get it. It's just an inconvenience. To make, to make things worse... The water company, without coordinating with our elected officials or our police department or our emergency management office, puts out a tweet and a Facebook post that says we're going to be dropping off two pallets of water at the Borough Building parking lot and the PNC Bank parking lot on Sunday at noon. They didn't tell you anything. Nothing. There was no zero. Hey, Paul. No, hey, no, hey, mayor. No, hey, elected official. No, hey, police chief. Nothing. So they just put these messages out there on their own. So being a oh. borough resident, I'm like, okay, PNC's right around the corner for me. I'm going to drive down there. And I pull into the parking lot, and it's just mayhem because they were an hour late. You know, now it's one o'clock. And everyone knows who I am, obviously, in the community, and now they're mad at me and asking me questions, and I don't know anything, so I drive to the borough building, and it's the same scene, except now this time, here's the local media for Pittsburgh set up in the parking lot with cameras and an interviewer, and the mayor looking at me like, you know, what do I say? You know, what are my talking points? And I'm like, man, this is like turning into a little mini crisis on the backside, right? So the bottom line is, you know, zero communication from the utility company to the borough and angry residents and everybody on social media putting out uh, the wrong messages. And, um, you know, it, who was putting out the wrong messages? The admins of the local community Facebook group were kept telling people because once we got involved and we just kind of injected ourselves into it OEM and police and fire. Because now 911 was starting. So the police were putting out Nixle messages to come and get water. 
911 was notifying the fire departments for a public service detail to go hand out water. And again, everyone's looking at us like, can we get a little more coordination for this? And I said to them, we just did this drill two days ago with our flu shot clinic. Yes, there's a whole framework in place how we should be doing this because how it's happening is 100% not the way for it to happen because the drop-offs happened when they, whenever the, they just showed up. Um, we had difficulty coordinating resources because, again, it's a Sunday. Penguins were playing. Steelers were playing. These drop-offs were happening in the morning, the afternoon, late in the evening with no coordination. Um, the honor system doesn't work because at one of the points of distribution, nobody just went to it to, to do it, and people were taking six, eight, ten cases of water at a time, right? So how many cases of water do you right now have in your house? Like on a normal non-boil advisory so, day. So when you ask me that question, that's, I'm the unfair <laughs> wrong person. I have about 22 okay. gallons of water on my house on any given day. Okay, you're definitely yeah, the wrong person. That, yeah, don't ask me that. From what I could tell from what I saw with the with the residents, they had none. Because people were showing up as if, you know, like it was a National Geographic documentary where people were going to be carrying the water back to their <laughs> back to their, their house. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. People so we, were going nuts over this. So, I okay, so I do preparedness presentations. Yeah. You know, part of my gig. So I always say, how much water do you have in your house? And, you know, most people reply back with, I at least have a case. I have a case in my car. I have a case where, you know, I at least have one case of water. When you tell me you have a case of water in your car, it makes me have a baby cow. But anyway, my point being there is, tell me why they need six or seven cases of water. Because it was free. Yeah. They could run up to, right. that's, to that's, the grocery so, store. So exactly everything that the pod framework teaches you about why it's important to have the framework of a pod when you're mass distributing anything, it all came true during this little boil water advisory that we that we had to deal with. Because I'm telling you, the people in the parking lots that were showing up just it, it was it was unbelievable the the way people were were reacting. And again, it hurts my soul because no matter how much I, we tweet and Facebook and get in front of the community and talk about preparedness, again, just like the FEMA strategic uh, report says, that message isn't being taken seriously by the public. Because if you have a resilient community that's prepared. N- Virtually no one should be showing up to get free water. But we were overwhelmed, and the utility companies made it worse by not coordinating it with us and putting out their own uh, messages. And again, our community Facebook groups made it worse by putting out the wrong messages because they kept telling people it's going to be a water buffalo when, in fact, even though we're tweeting from the scene saying, no, it's bottled water, you don't have to bring your own containers. They just kept saying, it's a water buffalo. I'd bring your own container because you never know. And it's like, no, we do know. We're here. Here's a picture of it, you know. So have you ever thought about maybe talking to them? Oh, yeah. There, yes, there, there's there's going to be some stuff in the works that, that's going to address uh, all of this. I think I'm up to an 18-page after-action report. Uh, from this um i hope it doesn't make a lot of people mad but 
you know, if you want to fix it, you got to confront the the ugly truths. Because one of the ugly truths that we came out with was, you know, what's our vulnerable population? You know, the the public refers to it as the shut-in list, the elderly community or the people that have severe medical problems. Uh, come to find out, we have three people listed on that list in, in White Oak. But the truth is there's a lot more. So I can tell you that in the coming week, we're going to be putting a link up on our Ready White Oak website and asking people that if they have family that fit that criteria to drop their name and uh, address and phone number onto this list so that we can be better prepared to deal with the vulnerable uh, population. But again, like I said, I know the public appreciated getting the water and they could see that we were trying to, you know, make this coordinated. Uh, I think we got the job done, but I have to honestly confess and say professionally, I was embarrassed for what we didn't do. And that wasn't our fault because we tried to call the water company and say, can we get someone to call us when you're going to be bringing because this lasted for three days. So it was three days constantly of just truckloads of pallets of water coming into our community and just being left in a parking lot to get pillaged and not letting us know, you know. But so that's it. So, again, lesson learned. But let's jump to Kima news because we are T-minus oh so many days until the number one topic that we've been talking about now for 26 episodes of this podcast. Yeah, but I figure we probably have, what, four, at least four more conference-related episodes, and then we'll start talking 2020, right? Oh, I'm sure, yeah. But we're getting close. Actually, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you I'm going to talk 2020 in the next, like, 10 seconds here. Go ahead. Mike's yours. So. I still want my own music. No. Maybe I'll have that at, on the ballot. Pick Amy's music for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see the look that you're getting me. Okay. <laughs> so we are obviously having a conference this year in six days, seven days. Um, we did, I'm looking forward to it. We we hit all of our numbers. We're going to have... Um, about 225, 250 people there this year. So you have to make sure that you swing by the Kima podcast booth and, and see me and introduce yourself. Well, and see Paul too. And introduce yourself to us. Um, we have, I think, 10 vendors, and I've had a whole bunch of um, inquiries for next year as well too. So we did book our 2020 conference dates um, at the convention center in Altoona again. And I'm not going to give the dates yet because we're going to release them at the conference. I will tell you, though, that we did add in a Saturday due to popular request, um, and that is to help accommodate the local emergency management coordinators. I am looking for feedback for classes and things that you, the locals, would like to see, or even the county folk, it doesn't matter, what you would like to see on that extra full day. Um, there was that. So we are going to start taking vendors. So if you're a vendor and you're interested, we will um, have a special discount for you for for inquiring before 2020. So it gives you about six months or six weeks or so to register, eight weeks to register for the 2020 conference. Um, we're going to be at the Pittsburgh Fire and EMS Expo in Monroeville in March. And we're also going to be at the Safety and Security Risk Symposium in Pittsburgh next month. I think we talked about that. We did, yeah. We, we talked yeah. about that on the last episode, yeah. 
the other thing that is going on, um, obviously we're going to be uh, giving awards, which we do every year. And officer um, nominations for the executive board is this year as well, too. And then at the annual meeting, I I ask for everybody to come because we are going to be making some bylaw changes. So I believe, didn't they go out? They did go out. They did go, yes, they did go out as well yeah, as so, all the nomination forms for the awards and the nomination of officers. Yeah, that was all due back this yep. week. Mm-hmm. So, um. Yeah, so lots going on. Yeah, and, and and like you said, the Kima podcast booth will be on scene, and we will be live casting throughout the conference from the vendor hall. We'll have our own little space, and we are going to be looking to schedule interviews with as many of the attendees, board members, and vendors as we can throughout the length of the conference. I don't know how many episodes we'll do while we're up there, but... You know, when we see people that uh, that we want to talk to, we're going to ask you to come over to the Kima podcast booth and, and do a little interview with us. And also, something new for this year, and hopefully this is going to become a popular addition every year, the social media happy hour. Oh, right. right. Hosted, I forgot about that. Hosted by your beloved hosts of the Kima podcast right, right. in the hotel bar in the lobby. And it's just wow. going to be a fun time for us to get together. I think that's Monday night, or is it Sunday? I don't know. I didn't even I, see the schedule yet. I it's it's either Sunday or Monday night in the in the hotel yeah. bar. But I think it's Sunday in in the Rad or in the Marriott in the Marriott hotel bar. Not to be confused because we have all those rooms over at the Holiday Inn too. Right in the host hotel. In the host hotel. Yes, right when you come in on the right. We're yes. going to take over the bar, social media happy hour. It's just an excuse for us to all get together, have a few drinks, talk about what we're doing on social media, and we might even have a free resource gift slash document that we've had made for this event that we're going to be handing right. out to everyone that attends that will help you with social media in the time of crisis. But, you know, I'd also like to add in, too, that if anybody out there is, doing, like, having, like, a moment, you know, having problems or whatever, like, we're always available. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to, to pop on and help. I mean, I've done that for, for White Oak, pop in and help, you know, post something on social or, or help you guys formulate messages you're or like whatever. A, you're like a living Vost, right? They're, that's a class. I know. That's a class this year. Yeah. Would you be lost without a Vost? Yeah, given by my friend from Moscow. Yeah, that's good stuff. So, yeah, yeah, so... I mean, I'm not opposed. You would, I mean... Yeah, it's it's all good. You would definitely help out. Yeah, everyone helps everyone. But, uh, but yeah, so we're crazy excited. Conference in in about a week. We'll see everybody up there in Altoona. Um, So, Amy, this week in emergency management news, uh, Governor Wolf's administration on the 10th of October... um, had an event where they outlined their winter weather preparations and guidance for public readiness. And, uh, the little, the little, uh, media thing that I, that I read about this, it was, it was pretty good, pretty fascinating. So they had the PennDOT secretary, the turnpike commissioner and director Padfield from Pima, uh, all together, uh, outlining the Commonwealth's plans for winter services, highlighting tools that the public can use 
to successfully prepare for this winter weather season. So the big bullet points are, number one, that the public can access 511pa.com. That's 511pa.com for information on nearly 40,000 state-maintained roadway miles and can even find plow truck locations and details on when those roads were last plowed. Have you ever popped on there and watched that? No, but I'm going to this year. <laughs> yes. You can I'm, plow truck. I'm legit, when I hear there's a snowstorm happening, I'm going to seriously sit here on my laptop and just watch plow trucks because that just sounds way cool and, and fun. The public can also access pendot.gov forward slash winter for information and traveler resources. So that's a good thing as well. Fun little fact, Amy. Did you know PennDOT's budget for this winter's statewide operations is $223 million? Wow. Right? And so with that, PennDOT's going to deploy about 4,500 on-the-road workers. They're going to have, well, they already have more than 620,000 tons of salt on hand and are set up and ready to take salt deliveries throughout the winter. Something I didn't know, they're also seeking 500 temporary equipment operators to help supplement the department's full-time staff. And so if you're interested in one of those positions, PennDOT's website, you can read what the qualifications are and even apply directly online. But Director Padfield's ending message is motorists should be prepared for potential bad weather by ensuring they have supplies in their cars before heading out, including food, water, blankets, extra gloves, hats, cell phone charger, those little hand and foot warmer things that you buy in bulk at Costco or Sam's Club, windshield brush and scraper, and any specialized items like medications, baby or pet supplies. Okay, so do you have like a windshield brush and scraper? Listen, I have a whole survival kit with MREs in my car. I'm the wrong person to ask this stuff to because I can't even go to the grocery store and have room to put just regular weekly groceries because I have so many bags in my car for everything that I do. So I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the don't, don't ask me. I'm, I'm the, the worst person to ask. But can we get to the main discussion point? Yeah, I, I mean, we've been talking about a lot of things, and it has been a while since we've... Yeah. So, okay, go ahead. we have to talk Discussion. about mitigation. Because in my opinion, and I know many other emergency management coordinators have told me the same thing, that out of the four primary roles of emergency management, mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery, mitigation is the one that you don't see as many classes about. We don't talk much about it. But there is a gigantic mitigation story that just happened in our country uh, here in the last uh, week or so. And that is uh, in California, uh, PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, they intentionally shut off their power grid to half a million people in California. They gave them a few days notice. They said, we're going to shut the power grid off for half a million people because they have uh, some very bad wildfires out there. And they had an unusually uh, very uh, bad windstorm happening that coincided with it. And, and PG&E did not want their equipment to spark during these winds and cause more wildfires. So their mitigation strategy was, we're going to flip the switch 
and kill power to about 15 counties, half a million people, and good luck for potentially Three a week. Days, right? Yeah. Well, is this why Aram didn't have electric? Correct. This is why Aram did not have electric. And I actually texted him in the middle of this to ask him, and this is my friend Aram. He's been on uh, a bunch of my different podcasts, and um, he's an emergency management guy out in uh, Northern California. So we're going to have to get him on the show to talk more about this. But anyways, so this was an intentional shutdown to prevent the equipment from sparking and causing more fire during the wildfires. A dozen plus counties affected, 500,000 residents, billions of dollars of revenue lost, schools, hospitals, businesses closed. And I read this article where UC Berkeley is worried that two years of their research on cancer-fighting drugs was lost. Uh, multiple reports of MVAs due to no intersection lights. So it was just this uh, crazy scenario out there in California, and they are under a lot of fire for making this mitigation uh, decision. And it got me thinking, you know, could something like that happen here? Are we prepared to tell residents the power grid is down? Because, listen, we were under a little baby boiled water advisory, and (laughs) 6,000 residents in our community lost their minds. I can't imagine what would happen if this was countywide and all of a sudden for whatever mitigation reason they had to shut the power grid down or if it went down due to a real crisis. You know, okay, so how much notice did they give the public? Like I, did they say, yeah, it's tomorrow no, and 12 I, hours? No, I, th- I think it was – I think they had like, you know, at least 72 hours, I think. I have to double check with Aram on that. But I think they gave them three days notice to get ready, get prepared, do what you got to do because gonna you're not going to have power. We're going to wind up paying a dollar to Aram. Yeah, we may have to. We're going to wind up paying a dollar to Aram. Yeah. Here soon, every time we say his name. Yeah, but but again, we're going to have to okay, have sorry. him on the show to talk more about this because he not only was impacted by it, but he was one of the ones on an emergency management level that helped to um, respond to this and deal with it. And he will have great perspective for a future uh, discussion on it. But again, you know, I just keep going back to. Um, you know, are we prepared? Are we prepared? Now, if you ask me, is that a good mitigation strategy to kill the power grid to not prevent more fires? I'd say yes, but here's the problem, right? It seems from what I've been reading that they've had years and years and years and years to harden their system, that utility company, so that there would be no fear of their equipment sparking during a windstorm. And for whatever reason, they just didn't do it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It, just think, like, with all of the changes in the population and the change, like, we're building constantly. I still don't know why there's so much above-ground utilities wires. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a utility guy. I don't, I don't know. But I, I get yeah, it. I, mean, I, I understand I'm, what you're saying. I wonder that, I too. I mean, just think. Like all of our new construction here in Chester County and is all below ground. But every time they come through here and do stuff in my hundred year old neighborhood, why aren't they making those changes? Yeah. Yeah, I understand. So again, you know, again, big mitigation story here. Uh, We will get uh, Aaron Bronston from uh, California on the line for a future episode because Uh, I'm just going to let him have the show and talk about it because I'm sure there's many, many lessons learned that he's going to share with us and uh, help put this into perspective. But, man, what a a difficult 
situation for those folks to be in out there. So when he listens, because I know that he's a frequent listener to our show, so he needs to put together like a presentation for the chemo conference next year. I don't disagree with that. So I'm not going to say anything to him because this is like my test now to see if he really listens as much as I think oh, he he'll, listens. He'll send you a message on Facebook and, and say that he heard it. I guarantee you he will. Okay. But again, this is this is one of those things we don't talk enough about in emergency management is mitigation. And now finally when someone has to make a decision, they are just – I'm serious. Read about it online. They're under fire out there in California. Um, they're, they're, they're taking a lot of heat from not only the public, but other elected officials. And um, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing for them right now to be a part of. Gotcha. And with that, the closing music to signify the end of episode 26 I can't believe it. I do have a question for you, Amy. You always have a question for me, Paul. What are you hoping is the best success story from this year's conference? Oh. I hope the best success story from this year's conference is that more people will come back next year. That's a good wish good wish i hope the best success story from this year's conference is that the new executive board will opt to keep me and bob gerlach as co-chairs of the conference that's a good another good wish do you have any more yeah i have one more go ahead because they have to come please i hope another success from this year's conference is that we get more listeners up for the podcast and a lot of people stop by the booth and tell us that they listen to us and that they want to be on the show with us oh that's nice that's a good one what about you i'm hoping that the pennsylvania emergency management world comes out to this conference that's my success story because we've talked about this uh, a bunch of episodes ago when I actually sat down and did the math, how many emergency management coordinators there are in Pennsylvania and kind of a projection of what should be in attendance for a conference like this. I I hope we start to see those numbers increase. That's the best thing we can do to help emergency management in Pennsylvania. Because listen, I'll be honest with you. This is great to sit here and talk about emergency management and talk about the good and the bad of it every time we do a podcast. But seriously, it's going to take emergency management people getting involved even more to truly make a difference in emergency management in Pennsylvania. I agree with you. And I hope by adding in the extra day on Saturday next year, that it helps the emergency management coordinators join us more. And I honestly want to hear feedback from everybody. And I know I say that every episode, but I truly, truly mean it. Amy, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Chemo Podcast.